0: All right, I want to take you back to history class. All right, we're going to do a little bit of history here. Let's go back to the 1700s, the late 1700s. All right, so get your thinking caps on. We're going back to the late 1700s, and we're going to go back to a European colony in the New World. All right? What do you—get your—get your mind thinking about that. European colony in the New World, late 1700s. Now, in this colony, they were—things were doing okay. They were pretty wealthy, and so uh, a lot of cool stuff was happening. There was some new thinking. There were some new libraries and some new uh, cultural things like theaters. All that stuff was starting to bustle and happen, and you had some—some some, some people start to—to to ask some questions. Well, say some—some some passionate young men begin saying, hold on a second. Why are we all the way over here in the new world being ruled by people far across on the other side of the sea? Wouldn't it be better for us to have freedom and liberty for all? Wouldn't it be better to uh, to throw off our European overlords and uh, fight back against the king? And so a revolution was born, and these young men started a, a revolution, which turned into to a war that fought against these European overlords, and they were able to effectively kick out the uh, the foreign king and become an independent sovereign nation for the first time. Liberty and justice for all. We all know what country I'm talking about. Haiti. (laughs) Uh, I know that's what you were thinking, right? Haiti. uh, I'm talking about the Haitian Revolution. The Haitian Revolution was the largest slave revolt since Spartacus fought the Romans. Uh, it was actually successful. They, uh, the, these African slaves revolted and ended up fighting and, and actually defeating not just Napoleon's French army, but also the English and the Spanish as well. And they became, by 1804, uh, an independent nation. Now get this, this is, this is new to me, but um, Saint-Domingue, the name of, or I, don't, I can't speak French, the actual colony that became Haiti, that colony was wealthier in the late uh, 1700s, wealthier than all of the 13 colonies of America combined, okay? Think about that. It had more money than all of the—it was more income than all those other colonies. It was very, very successful. Like I said, it was up and coming, and yet from that time after the early 1800s, The United States, as we know, continued to grow in its influence and its political power and its wealth over the years, over the next 200 years, but Haiti seemed to have gone the other direction. Haiti today is by far the least wealthy country, the the poorest country in the entire Western Hemisphere. I've had the privilege of visiting Haiti a few different times, and when I first visited back in 2010, before the earthquake, um, I was shocked at what I had found. Like literally right on the doorstep of, of the United States, I found a country that was racked with poverty and disease and hunger and violence and despair. So now knowing a little bit about the history of Haiti, it leads me to ask the question, why? What happened? What went wrong that, that took Haiti from being such a wealthy colony to being a place of such poverty? Why did this promising young nation fall so far? Well, the answer to the question, it's a real simple answer, and it's one word. And the word is this, injustice. The answer is injustice. And that, injustice, is what we're talking about all month for Hope Month. Um, we're going to come back to Haiti in just a moment, but, but I want to give you a little bit of context of why we're talking about such a—I mean, what a, what a light topic to start uh, Labor Day weekend off with, right? Um, why are we talking about injustice? Well, Jeff already kind of set this up, but but at Grace, every year, we take one month out of the year to focus on one of the six broken places. That's what we call it. The broken places of our world. Separation from God, pain, isolation, decay, hatred, and yes, injustice. We talk about these things, and and specifically, we talk about what does Scripture have to say about these, these evidences that things are not the way they are supposed to be. That's what the broken places are are all about. So why do we talk about these? Why do we spend so much time and energy talking about them? Well, for two reasons. We, We believe two fundamental things about the broken places. First, we believe that God is in the business of healing the brokenness of our world. That's what he does, right? Our God is healing the broken places. That's what we believe. And number two, we believe that God calls us to join him in that healing work. That's what we do. So God heals the brokenness. He invites us to join him in, and that is why we spend so much time talking about it. We heal the broken places of this world in Jesus' name, including the broken place of injustice. So that's what this month is all about. Uh, Before we dive in, why don't we pray? Because this is a pretty uh, intense topic, so let's pray. Father God, as we open our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say about this very, very heavy topic. I pray um, that we would just align our hearts with with your Spirit. I ask, Father, that we would be able to 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 keep our minds and our hearts engaged with what can be a very heavy topic, and I pray that that as we learn and as we listen, um, that you would transform us from the inside out. I pray as I'm preaching, Father, that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. Would we all have ears to hear What it is that you have to say to us this morning i pray all this in the name of jesus amen amen okay so let's kick off hope month injustice by answering a pretty simple question or trying to what is injustice like what what is the actual definition of injustice that we're going to be working from well This is actually a little bit more complicated than you might think Um, because, okay, there's injustice that you know when you see it. Like every child knows when one person gets more candy than another that that's injustice, right? It is unjust that I don't have as much, uh, as many, whatever, candies as as that kid over there. But obviously injustice more often than not is a lot more consequential than just that. We know it when we see it. When we see, let's say, a a person with a disability who is denied a job because of prejudice. That's unjust. That's injustice. Uh, when, When a young girl is sold into a brothel in Southeast Asia, that's injustice. We know it when we see it. It's injustice when a helpless senior citizen with dementia is taken advantage of. It is injustice when someone is wrongfully imprisoned. It is injustice when a child goes hungry in a time of plenty right? All of that is injustice. But, but what is it that ties all of those things together? Well, here is where I think the Bible actually plays a really important role, because injustice is a major concern for the biblical authors. I mean, they talk about it all the time, from, from front to back. They are constantly talking about injustice. And here's why. Here's why. To the biblical authors— injustice of any kind, big or small, it falls short of what God designed. falls short of God's design. Throughout the Bible, we see that that God, from the very beginning, he intended, he created shalom for humanity. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, but I've talked about this a lot before. Peace in Scripture is way more than just an absence of violence. Peace in Scripture, it, it means... Well, it means God's presence and everything that comes with it. Joy and, and, uh, and wholeness and healing and life and abundance. That is what shalom, that's what peace looks like. It's the presence of God. It's Eden, in other words. So that's what God desires for every one of us. That's what he created humanity for. And so biblical justice looks like this. It looks like the open-handed thriving of individuals and communities living within the abundance of God and the presence of God. That's justice. When that happens, the world is just. So what is injustice? Well, injustice is any needless suffering brought on by the withholding of that abundance, the withholding of God's abundance. So when you look around, you see, you see poverty, you see hunger, you see slavery and homelessness and abuse and even garden variety inequality— it all falls short of of what God desires for humanity. It falls short of shalom. Anytime we see the abundance of God being withheld from somebody, big or small, or being withheld from a community, it's injustice. And we see it all over the world. Now, you'll notice that I I said uh, withholding in the passive voice. I haven't quite talked about who is doing the withholding. So let's talk about that. Who's withholding this abundance from people? Because if we get to stop them, we'll fix it, right? Who's doing the withholding? Well, yes, there are times when individuals do unjust things, right? When individuals are, are, are unjust. Uh, a slave owner, a thief, uh, someone who takes advantage of the vulnerable. Those are, those are specific individual injustice uh, moments of injustice. But more often than not, in our world, injustice It shows itself as a system. Injustice is a system that keeps people oppressed, far more than just individual acts. It's a system. It's like a a spider's web of of interconnected suffering that keeps people from thriving, that keeps people from God's abundance. This is why, by the way, I, I started talking about Haiti with this message. Because again, how did the wealthiest New World colony become the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere? Well, it was not just individual acts of injustice that led to it. I'll tell you that much. Let me, let's, let me just kind of take, take your mind. And I want you to, to imagine that there is a, uh, a Haitian boy, a little baby boy that is abandoned by his mother. That is an act of injustice, right? We would all say that is unjust. It is not right for a child to be abandoned, uh, a helpless child, okay? So that's an injustice. So who do we point the finger at? The mom? Well, yes, in a sense, it's the mom who abandoned the child, but why did she do that in the first place? You take a little bit of a look around and you start to see, oh, what's her, what's her environment? Well, there's an environment of rape and gang violence and, and uh, there's, there's lack of education and no, no uh, training for her. She, she dropped out of school early. You look at all these things and you say, okay, so there's more going on that fed to that decision. But then you take a step back, you think, well, what about the family that she grew up in? For generations, you realize they, don't, they haven't had food or clean drinking water. So there's disease, there's malnourishment in their family. It was holding all of them back. And she, came, she grew up in that environment. Well, all right, let's take another step back. Why is there no food or, or drinking water for her family? Well... It's because for generations, impoverished Haitians have deforested their country and over overexploited the soil. And so there's erosion, there's there's desertification. There isn't much clean clean drinking water, there's no food to eat um, because it's been generations of, of poverty that have led to desertification. So the whole country is facing poverty year after year, generation after generation. All right, so where did the, the poverty start? How did that happen? Well, let's take another uh, step back and talk about debt, national debt. After the Haitians won their independence against the French, the French imposed debt on the country. Because why? Because they stole their property. Yes, land and sugarcane, but they're talking about people. And so they imposed debt on Haiti, which was many times more than the entire income of the country They could in, in one year. They could not. They were crippled from the start. Guess when Haiti finished paying off their debt to France? 1947. The nation was crippled from the start. How do you build a nation with no income and no money? But we could start even further back from that because what was Haiti founded on? The nation of Haiti was founded on chattel slavery, race-based chattel slavery, and the the extermination and the oppression of the indigenous people who no longer exist on the country, in, in that in that country. How do you form a nation of, of people who have been whisked away from their families half a world away, who've been forced into to brutal manual labor, who have, who've been denied even basic education. They, again, were playing with two arms tied behind their back. With all of that, with all of that, if we zoom all the way back in and we look at that mother who abandons her child, we realize that this is not an individual act of injustice. This is a system of injustice. You see what i'm saying all of these interlocking uh, ideas and people and systems and processes that all lead to oppression and suffering and the withholding of god's abundance that's why haiti is the way it is now i realize that haiti is a pretty extreme example to use okay haiti is about as extreme as you can get in the western hemisphere but the truth is Those same types of of systems, systems of injustice, are also right here in our own backyard. They're, They're happening even in Hamilton County. The vulnerable are exploited right here. It looks different than Haiti, but you can see generational poverty right in our own backyard. There is economic disempowerment for certain groups of people that is baked into our legal system as a country. There's growing income inequality. Just turn on the news and what do you see? You see that, that, that this is turning to a, almost despair the amount of income inequality in our country. And let's not forget, we have our own legacy of slavery and the oppression of indigenous peoples to deal with as well. So all of that is happening even right here. And I'm just going to shoot straight with you. If we have eyes to see it, if if we're willing to actually look clearly at what's going on, our lives, even those of us who live very comfortable suburban lives, our lives are also woven in to local and global systems of injustice that touch billions of people right here and around the world. It's all connected, and you and I are a part of it. The abundance of God is withheld, And and these systems, uh, uh, hunger and, and preventable disease and violence and inequality, these systems conspire to keep it that way. Conspire to keep it that way. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of injustice, systemic injustice. Maybe you have had God's abundance withheld from you. Or maybe, without even realizing it, you have been a part of a system that is doing the withholding. That's the injustice that we face. Our world is broken with Injustice and it is everywhere, and it's everywhere. So, are you overwhelmed yet? Because I am, right? I mean, you you would be forgiven for being like, "What is this?" Because I cannot take much more of this. This is awful. I think, and I, I this is my opinion. I think injustice of all the broken places, this is the one that most quickly leads us to have our eyes gloss over. It's the one that most quickly leads us to despair, to throwing up our hands, to saying what could we possibly even do about it, right? It's too big. It's too insurmountable. What are we going to do? And believe me, I would know. I would know because my, if you don't know, my entire adult life leading up to becoming a pastor was spent going looking for more injustice to write about. I was traveling the world. I went to Haiti and, and uh, to, to Cambodia and to New York City and to Africa. I was all over the world trying to understand what, what injustice is really like and what God was doing about it. And so believe me, I know what compassion fatigue feels like. And so, yeah, I've had my moments of feeling despair as well. So maybe you're feeling a bit of that or a lot of that right now. But I've got good news. I've got good news, and it's about the name of this week, of this month. It is called what? Hope Month, right? Guess what it's not called? Despair Month. We're not not here to despair. We're not trying to wallow. We're trying to find hope. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Yes, it's heavy. Yes, it's like, again, Labor Day weekend, really, but... I'm telling you, there's hope, there's hope, and that's what we're focused on. And here's why I believe there's hope. Again, it goes back to what I've seen with my own two eyes traveling the world. I've seen that God is in the business of healing injustice, and I've seen that God works with us. He invites us to join him in that work. I've seen it with my own two eyes, and so have the biblical authors— I said it before, they talk about this stuff all the time, all the time. And so I'll give you an example. Here's what they see when they look out at a world of injustice. In Psalm 146, joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope, there it is, hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives what? Justice to the oppressed. And food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and the widows, but He frustrates the plans of the wicked. That's what God does. That's what God does. And by the way, widows, orphans, foreigners, you see that trio of ideas all throughout the Bible because they represented the most vulnerable in ancient society. God cares for them. He cares about injustice. That's what God does. He he removes, uh, restores victims, excuse me, restores victims of injustice back into his presence, back into his abundance. See, the authors of Scripture, they understood that when it it comes to God's intentions for the world, we're falling short. This world is falling short, and yet God is not done working. He desires to bring humanity back into shalom, and he's not sitting idly by. God cares deeply about injustice, and he is doing something about it. That idea, that is the foundation of our hope. With our God on the throne, injustice will never be the end of the story. That's the truth. You know, you know how I know that's the truth? Because we got to see it with our own eyes when Jesus came into the story. When God walked into our world as one of us, as Jesus Christ, we saw where his priorities lie. Right at the beginning of the minute of his ministry, Jesus spells it out for us. He says this. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Luke 4, verse 7. Um, Jesus Is just about to start his ministry in the Gospel of Luke. He's about to start healing, and teaching, and doing all those things. But before he does any of that, he launches his public ministry by doing this. He he reads something from the Old Testament. He's in his, his hometown of Nazareth, and it says this, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. Here's what he said. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled This very day. So, all those ideas from Psalm 146 are echoed here. Jesus is saying, Look, here's what I care about releasing the captives, bringing good news to the poor, and declaring the year of the Lord's favor. It's here. Now, a little bit of background. The year of the Lord's favor was kind of a shorthand way of talking about something we see in the Old Testament called the year of Jubilee. Uh, this was initially part of the law, but it kind of became part of their, their hope for the future. It was essentially a year in which slaves would be released, where debts would be forgiven, where justice would return to the land, and everybody would live with equality and fairness and, and God's abundance in their lives. It was the, the year of jubilee, the time of the Lord's favor, and it, it had become a, a, a distant hope. Someday, someday we're going to get there. Someday this world will be made right, we'll will return to God's presence presence. But Jesus reads that, and what does he say? He says, it's happened. It's now. The time of the Lord's favor is here. That's what he says. Everybody thinks it's going to be a future time, and Jesus says, no guys, it started. And then you look at how he he lived and the ministry that he did, did, and you realize that these were not just words. I mean, think about what Jesus did. Uh, He spent time with the outcasts. Right? And the vulnerable and the downtrodden. He gave them joy and hope. He, he breathed life. He healed the sick. He, he restored to community those who had been cast aside. He literally gave food to hungry people. Do you think that the feeding of the 5,000 was just some sort of object lesson? No, he was feeding hungry people. The, the, in the year of the Lord's favor, the hungry are going to be fed, and that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus cared about those who were suffering from injustice and he restored them restored them to the abundance of god to god's justice to god's generosity to god's shalom that is what jesus did over and over and over again because his father cared about the exact same thing god cares deeply about injustice and he is doing something about it jesus is the proof Okay. But if that's true, if it's true that the the time of the Lord's favor is here, we're living in the year of Jubilee, that's all great, but why is there still injustice? I'm sure some of you are wondering that, right? Okay, did he kick off something and then abandon it? Why is there still injustice in the world? I mean, Jesus said it started on that day in Nazareth, so why isn't it continuing? Why doesn't it seem to be? Did Jesus give up on his mission to bring God's justice to the world? Well, no. I don't think he did. I don't believe he did. In fact, I believe that Jesus has been continuing that mission day after day after day right up to today. He's still in the business of doing exactly what he said he was all the way back in Luke 4. He has never stopped working for injustice, to heal injustice. But here's the twist. Do you know how he's doing it? Do you know how he's accomplishing this mission today? Through you. Through you, through you and me, through the church. We are his body, we are his hands and feet. We are his representatives to bring healing to this broken world. And this is the cool thing. With with his spirit, the spirit of Jesus within us, we are suddenly empowered to do things which do seem hopeless by purely human standards. With the Spirit within us, with His Spirit, we are empowered to dismantle systems of injustice in His name, to take a a firm stand against the brutality of our world. And we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, but it is not like uh, we are fighting fair, because we've got God's Spirit within us, and the little tiny actions of faithfulness that we are able to offer, the Spirit rushes through that and does things that we could never imagine. That's how it works. So, God's Spirit is within us. Jesus is continuing to heal the world through you and through me. Do you want hope? You want hope in a world broken with injustice? I'll tell you where to look. Look in the mirror. That's the hope. You are the hope because Jesus lives in you. You are the hope of this world because Jesus is the hope of this world. But here's the deal that's true. And you have to act. That, that doesn't happen if you're sitting on the sidelines. Micah 6.8, this is a, a passage that we're going to come back to a lot in this series. Look, the Lord has told you what is good. The Lord has told you what is good, and we saw it in the words and the actions of Jesus. We see it all through the Old Testament. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. It's pretty simple, maybe not easy, but it's simple. To, lo- to act justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God, which I interpret to mean to walk where he goes, to, to in humility set your agenda aside for his. That's all you got to do. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The kids are memorizing this verse, by the way, this, this, uh, this month. So what does it look like? What does it look like for you and for me to actually Act justly in 2023 America, in the suburbs that we live in. What does it look like to bring healing to the broken place of injustice today as Jesus's representatives? How do we have hope in this? Well, that is what this series is all about. That's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. This is Hope Month, not Despair Month, and we are going to learn how to hope and how to act. So let's get practical just for a second. Because we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff in these next few weeks. But I just want to, I don't want to leave you hang, hanging with just like theory. I want to get practical. And as we're looking ahead at this series and thinking about our own lives and what we're going to be learning about and stuff, how do we frame our lives uh, in, in this sense? How do we start acting justly in this world? So I've got three R words, because I know that's what you're supposed to do when you preach. But, you know, th- three R's. Yeah, you, you get it. So first R word, here's what you do. You respond. Now, by this, what I mean is specifically you respond to individual acts of injustice that you come across. Because, yes, I've been talking about systems, and we'll get there, but there are often individual moments of injustice that you come across in your day-to-day life. Jesus did this all the time. Uh, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick this is a heart thing he responded with compassion because that's what he cared about so when you see injustice in your day-to-day life you respond this could mean anything this could mean from uh, uh seeing a homeless person and instead of walking by you think for a moment how do i offer compassion to this person uh, it could mean maybe you you have a coworker or a friend or neighbor that you find out is in a really bad place financially what's our temptation i'll pray for you but acting, responding, it might mean something like giving them a gift of finances. It might mean saying, this is kind of bold, maybe saying, hey, look, do you want to go to the Grace Care Center food pantry? I know it might be a little embarrassing. Can I go with you? Let's go through it together. Maybe that's your way of responding when you encounter a specific need. What I'm trying to say is responding means paying attention, looking around the, the day-to-day life of your, of your life and seeing where the Spirit would have you move. Respond. Now, that is episodic. You you can't really control it. It just kind of happens. It's responding in the moment. But we're dealing with systems of injustice in our world. And so I think we also have to be a lot more intentional. And so the second R word is this. Resolve. Resolve. By resolve, I mean make a decision. Make a resolution. I resolve to sacrifice something I have in an ongoing way to deal with injustice. Could be sacrificing your your time, your creativity. Could mean sacrificing your resources, your money. Whatever it is, resolve to, to put a stake in the ground and say, this is what matters in my life. For example... This is Hope Month, and so we are going to be providing you with all kinds of, there's a devotional online, there are resources, we've got a class coming up. Uh, Tim Street from Shepherd Community Center in a couple weekends, on a couple Saturdays from now, is going to be teaching a class called Poverty 101. He's been teaching this class for years, and I guarantee you, if you've not gone to this class, it will change the way you think about injustice. It just will. It is, he's brilliant. He's got these phenomenal concepts and ideas that you can then hold on to and start to live out in your life. And that's coming up. So you can register on our website right there, Poverty 101. So that's something you could do. You could resolve to, to learn, resolve to educate yourself about injustice. And don't, don't just sit idly by. Uh, and on the topic of educating yourself, I'm going to say this you could buy my book. Now, here's the deal. I don't make any money from this. I give all the money away to the partner ministries that I write about inside, but—and I also, like, I don't like self-promotion, so I, like, I've never really—I don't really talk about this book, but this month of all months, this is the kind of book that you might want to read if you want to learn about injustice. I mentioned before, I traveled around the world, and I I went looking for for injustice, and I— I wrote about—this is like like the, the distilled most impactful or best moments and stories from those seven years of my life, and I put them all here. If that's something that's interesting to you and you want to learn, and there's also ridiculous stuff, eating weird things and all that is in there too, so it's fun. But um, I wrote this back in 2015, and we're selling it at the cafe. It's like 10 bucks at the cafe. There's also digital versions online. If you, if you go to Amazon, you can look it up. But all that to say— Resolve to learn. If it's not my book, there's plenty of other amazing books about injustice. Resolve to educate yourself and, and grow in your knowledge. Don't just stay static. And then, of course, resolving to give. That, that's an easy one. Resolve to get your, your hard-earned cash in the game of justice. A couple ways you could do that. You could give to Grace. Uh, there are obviously lots of things that we do to invest in, in God's healing justice work. But we also have a ton of partners, incredible partners around the world that are doing amazing justice work. And you could get your money in the game to support them financially. Find them all on our website. They're there. Um, one of them, which I just, I'll take a moment to highlight, of course, today because it's about Haiti, is Nehemiah Vision Ministries. Nehemiah Vision Vision Ministries is down in Haiti. That was the ministry that I went and spent time with when I traveled down there. And I have to tell you guys, NVM, as I call it, is the reason that I don't lose hope for Haiti. Because NVM is run by a Haitian team, led by a Haitian man, this incredible pastor, Esperando Pierre, uh, he has dedicated his life to this village of Chambron, and their influence has grown. It's one of the most beautiful, holistic ministries I've ever seen. They've got, uh, they've got education for kids and students. They've got food and medical care and dental care, and they do counseling, and they do all this other stuff. They, they invest in their community. They've got an orphanage. They invest in other local pastors so that other communities are able to offer holistic care. It's profound. It's beautiful. They're actually changing, changing Haiti for the better. They are combating systems of injustice with systems of hope, and God's abundance is on display in a place filled with injustice. It's incredible. You can invest in their work, and it's easy. I I started sponsoring a child with NVM 12 years ago, and I still do. Monthly, it's like it's just a part of my life now, and so I know in my life I've got a very tiny bit of skin in the game for the healing of Haiti. Even though it's not the, the thing that's prime, primary, front and center for me, I know that my life, I've resolved to be a part of it. So you can resolve to give. Those are ideas. Those are examples. Finally, you got to resolve to act. It's probably the most important one. You got to get yourself in the game. And there's lots of ways to do that. We, we have all kinds of volunteer opportunities. You could volunteer with one of our partners. But the easiest thing to do is just to sign up for Weekend of Service. This is gonna give you an opportunity to to dip your toes in the water of of doing justice work. It's all on the website, sign up, Weekend of Service. I I won't reiterate all the stuff that Jeff said, but I will say this, I will just remind you of this. The twist for this year's Weekend of Service is that we are going to invite as many people from our community to serve alongside us as possible. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, Hopefully, lots and lots of people who aren't even a part of a church. The idea is that if God is so much in the business of justice, then we, the church, we should be leading the way and teaching the world what justice looks like. So let's bring our neighbors and friends and classmates along for the ride and just see what God does. So our goal, it's an audacious goal, but our goal is to have fully half of all the people volunteering on weekend of service be not from grace. Grace. All right? So we'll see if we can do that. But that relies on you. you got to resolve to think right now about who you're going to invite. I said there were three R's. The third R is the one—oh, I, I guess I could reiterate. So we have, uh, we have respond to the needs of our community, resolve to get in the game, and then this third one, rebel. And this is the fun one. Rebel. No, it's not fun. It's, it's hard. But rebel uh, against the systems of our world that would try to keep us apathetic, keep us indifferent, keep uh, conspiring to keep the world broken. So here's what I mean. In the suburbs, it is so easy for us to be blind to, the, to the, the way that our lives and our lifestyles are participating in injustice halfway around the world. I'll give you one example. Like the clothes that we wear. How often are we thinking about the sweatshop laborers that make them? What we buy has an influence on injustice in Bangladesh. And, and that's just one example I could give you a million more. It's the way that our world is wired and the systems and the powers of injustice in our world are so happy that we are just willfully going along for the ride. So rebel rebel in the way that you live, in the lifestyle that you choose, in what you buy, in how you eat, in who you spend your time with. You can be a rebel that chooses a different kind of life because of who we serve. That's what Jesus did. He was a rebel. He lived outside the bounds of polite society. He offended the powerful elites of his world all the time. He shunned wealth. He shunned power and extravagance. He spent time with those that the world had rejected. He even overturned tables in the temple when the religious leaders had turned the temple system into a tool for oppression of the poor. That's what Jesus did. He was a rebel against the powers of injustice. And you and I can be too in the way that we live. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the weeks to come, but I want to plant that seed. You could be a rebel. I say let the rebellion begin here. Let's kick it off. Maybe we can make a flag or something. I don't know. Maybe no, No, maybe not. <laughs> the point of all of this is that we got to move. We got to act. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. All of those are action verbs. We've got to move. So let's respond When we encounter injustice, let's resolve to to make it an ongoing part of our life and let's rebel and not let the the powers of our world, consumerism and all that, keep us locked in to perpetuating injustice, whether we know it or not. Let's be rebels. Now look, I know this is a lot to take in. This is a a monumental topic. It was to the biblical authors and it is to us. So here's, I'm just going to boil it all down. If you remember nothing else today, just remember this one truth. one truth, that our God cares deeply about healing and justice. He does. This is a priority for him, and he's in the business of healing it. What a privilege it is that he's inviting us to be a part of that healing work. Let's pray. Well, Father, I mean, yeah, it's overwhelming, It's overwhelming because it is so against our nature to care about these things that just want to sap us of energy and sap us of hope. And so my main prayer right now, Father, is that we would be filled with hope and and with confidence that you really are in the business of healing and justice. Father, I don't want the church to be known as, as indifferent or apathetic or even worse, to be perpetuating injustice in our world. I want the church to recover our, our, our status as the leading edge of justice work in the world. So Father, would you begin something right here among us? Would you light a fire in our midst that we would be people who are people of justice, people of mercy, people who walk humbly with you and do the things that you care about? Light a fire in us, Father. Start the rebellion here, I pray, in the name of Jesus, who showed us what your shalom and abundance looks like. Amen.